there, and welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, fresh in from jumping in some leaves and uh, <laughs> enjoying the season and feeling groovy. Out on a rainy day, even. Oh, yeah. This is this. I thrive in this weather. Okay. <laughs> poor soil quality and rain i'm good yeah. all right we are living in a grunge song given the weather the last few days so I, yeah. it's understandable why scotty might be at pretty home. much gen x you know that's how it goes <laughs> <laughs> is it dark yeah good <laughs> wow what a positive note to begin the show on okay <laughs> Open Source is the CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week, in this embiggened episode, because uh, we are starting early this week, uh, we have three of the mayoral candidates. So first up, we're going to have Danny Drew, and then in the middle... We will have Sheila McFarlane, and then to wrap things up, we will have the incumbent himself, Cam Guthrie. Uh, so, Scotty, you took uh, the wheel to talk to Danny Drew, and uh, I will let you offer any initial opening comments that you you might like to to say about uh, interviewing Danny Drew. Danny Drew and I had a good chat. Danny uh, comes from the, let's say, the left side of the spectrum. <laughs> we did get a little bit into philosophy, but of course, I managed to steer them back into local political talk, let's say. So mm-hmm. it was an interesting time. We have we have a uh, an interesting slate of candidates this time around. Uh, yes, something of an understatement. Here is uh, Danny Drew, one of the six people running for mayor in this Guelph election, and we're going to hit Scotty's interview with them right now. Pleased to welcome Danny Drew to the program. Danny's one of the six candidates running for the mayor's chair in the upcoming municipal election on October the 24th. Welcome to the program, Danny. Hey there, Scotty. Thanks for having me. Someone who's a new face on the electoral politics scene, but not necessarily in town. Some people will know who you are, but can you tell us a bit about yourself for those who may not know anything about you? Uh, sure thing. Yeah. I, I grew up born and raised in Oshawa, uh, East End of GTA. So no one's familiar. Yeah. Came here for university in around, I think it was 2009. For That was actually the first run through of the mechanical engineering program in Guelph. So, I mean, it, was a, it had its rough spots, but overall it was a pretty good program. Anyway, so yeah, after I graduated, I kind of just, well, I did a bit of engineering here and there, but a lot of it, a lot of what I was doing was kind of just milling around, heading to like different places throughout the country, seeing different ways of living, like living in different ways, uh, all kinds of different jobs. I've worked at like, I've, I've literally, you've like worked in a, I was thinking the other day, I, I've worked in a mine with a pickaxe before. Like I've done like, so yeah, and, and engineer is what I am in my heart, but it's something I've, Actually, yeah, I may as well. I don't think I brought that up on the campaign trail. That's something I have ch- kind of chosen not to pursue any further. It's by virtue of my, uh, it's sort of a material, it comes from a Marxist analysis. So I'll try not to go too deep into it. But basically, um, my specialization is in automation, like mechatronics, basically. That's something I would love to implement. But everything you automate basically takes away a little bit more worker power and solidifies the, well, the rule of the ruling class. So I figure I don't want to take part in that process until we live in a better world until so i'm working on changing it well i've been back in guelph for a long time but i've basically just been trying to help out where i can i've not been particularly involved with any one particular organization but i've been helping out well like i say wherever i can all kinds of different folks 
uh, some comrades and I started a renters union back at the beginning of the pandemic, sort of a food distribution program as well. Food not uh, food not cops, we were calling it. I guess yeah, I could go on forever. <laughs> I think that'll be. Enough. And we'll get to some of those things too. But since, since you sure. tar- you brought up Marxist analysis, and that's something I wanted to ask you about, just because your your signs around town and it's a popular slogan, I would say in certain leftist circles is mm-hmm. people before profit, and it's it's fairly clear to most people what that means. But do you, do you want to expand on that a bit in a Guelph context? How would you, as mayor, put people before profit? Actually, I just received an email from someone who's kind of being forced out of town, priced out of town. Like there, this is a couple of young professionals. They're being priced out of town because the condos they live in, just near my place, actually, over in over on Huron Street. Apparently, uh, like a third, maybe maybe a little more of their units are owned by one one company or some such. So all of the rental, well, all the rent anyone pays, all the maintenance fees they pay, they go basically straight to someone in Toronto. That money is leaving our community. It's getting taken out of town. And we never see it again. So some of the approaches, I have a lot of ideas regarding housing, changing the ways we relate to housing in town. But for example, one of these ways is helping to facilitate or even fund uh, community land trusts and such. And you know maybe even giving either the city or Wellington Social Services or community land trusts and whatnot, say, uh, right of first refusal on houses going up for sale in town or any sort of residence, not necessarily a house. So in this way, we could start to decommodify housing in broader sense, but also keep make sure that the people who, well, hopefully it would be a democratic ownership structure, such as a community land trust, where everyone collectively owns it. But in lieu of that, at least we could keep housing money circulating in town. It wouldn't just be going to buy some Toronto guy's yacht. You know what I mean? On top of that, though, this I mean, you could apply that similar similar thing to even industries in town or even small businesses. Like, for example, uh, of course, we could bring up Linamar, but that's something we couldn't exactly tackle from a municipal angle directly. I would, though, for example, like to promote uh, unionization of, of Linamar because, oh, my God, there's so many, there's, these, there's such faceted questions or answers ways to answer these questions like Lenamar, for example employs an incredible number of uh well not just people of color but immigrants specifically like i've got my hypotheses as to why they specifically focus on that one of them being like well they're easier to exploit because they're more precarious their stay here is more precarious they're worried about getting kicked out of the country so they're not going to raise a fuss so anyway like for example taking some of their profits profits uh, i can't just drop a whole theory book on you but profit is theft Profit is not like the workers do productive labor, producing surplus value, and that is ex- profit is extracted from that value and taken by the owning class. So these owners are taking more than they would in the case that say Linamar was unionized, and that is again just leaving town forever. We'll never see it again. This is such a productive town, so much industry, so much well, just so many workers and everything. We produce so much, and we don't get to keep any of it basically. Turning to the campaign trail directly, this is the last week now. We've been yeah. out and about for almost two months, super long. What have you been hearing from people out and about? Is there anything other than what you've spoken about already, anything emerging at the door or in the street? I seem to be accomplishing one of my goals, which is giving people a little bit of hope. Uh, that may sound a little bit, it may sound a bit lofty, but I really do see people glomming onto my campaigns like a source. Well, it's just something different. Now, everyone's been so beat down for so long, which is the same thing over and over again. I see people supporting me because they know me, people supporting me because they like what I have to say, people even just supporting me purely because it's something different. They're just sick of, uh, say, what we've been subject to for the last so many years. So something that's also kind of an out and about thing, you're very involved in the trenches regarding food security. And I've seen your posts about a recent food rescue that you do. I think you do that regularly. You were saying that that 
not only was the food thrown out, but the containers that were in everything was in the bins. Is that something that you would advocate for or implement as mayor, like similar to the, the French law where all of that type of food needs to go back out into the community? Absolutely. Not even just necessarily that it has to go back out into the community. Um, well, I mean, yes, but say someone d- d- does waste something, they should be fine because that's basically we live in a society that's uh, there's like three elements to the ch- classical private property laws. It's uh, uses, fructus and abuses, I think, whereas like you can something you per- quote unquote own, you can use, you can benefit from it. And the last one, which is what we have, well, what our private property laws observe is that you can do with it what you will. You can destroy your property and that is your right. I don't think that's the way that we should go about things as a society. Like if you're destroying something that like effectively everything in the world is socially produced in one way or another, no one's just sitting there. Like no one has just produced their own mine, uh, you know, uh, dug up the iron themselves, produced a whole, like found, found the, the coal turned into Coke, made the steel, etc. Like there's no one person who's done this. No one invented, no one person invented the language with which we, uh, with, with which we communicate and coordinate our actions. Everything is socially produced and socially instantiated so that, that someone could just say, well, it's mine. I can do with it what I want. I'll destroy it. That is ours as well. This is our, it's our right to all of these things to have them not be wasted, not be destroyed. Not even just like, that's even just on a philosophical level, not to mention the fact that it's a nightmare, nightmare for the environment and you have to, well, make a, a loaf of bread for every loaf of bread that's thrown out, you know? This, this sort of relates to that in terms of finding efficiencies and inefficiencies. You mentioned... Mm-hmm in your campaign material about civic and inefficiency. And I guess that's on more of a revenue level, but you also talk a bit about design. And I think this kind of relates to something which I never thought would come back up. And that would be the the, the library. Now, if that project was starting again, because it's been years and years and years, how, how would you see, or if, from your perspective, how would you see that proceeding, let's say, in a more uh, efficient ma- manner rather than what we've seen it evolve to and come to the point we're at today. So you're saying from, how do we, how do we be restarting this whole process? Yeah, if you were, if it was starting from scratch, you'd be like, okay, if we're going to start this tomorrow and you were the mayor or on council, it's a scratch job. What would you do? Mm, that's a great question. I- I'm just answering the question that went unasked. Yeah. This is a great one, though. There's a lot of fussing about that's been going on because people are well, either because, it, well, I, mind you, I haven't been here in Guelph even for, it's been such a long process. I, don't even, I haven't even been here for the entire time it's been going on. But like, for example, there's some statistics or some data we can see from other places that have recently made a, like a, will improve their libraries and made headquarters, say like out in Alberta. Like we can expect to see a, people keep complaining about the cost, but I mean, you have to spend money to make money as, uh, as like capitalists like to say. We can expect to see a five to $9 return on every dollar we spend on this. And we're not even, I mean, I guess actually, no, we are, we are, no, sorry, we are spending most of our money on this. We aren't getting that one grant, but in any case, we're going to be seeing a return on this. It's just not instant, you know? So I think being able to present this kind of data right off the bat so that there's not so much flip-flopping, fussing about, just be one way to help get the uh, more reticent folks, like maybe the more conservative-minded folks or money-minded folks um, on board with it right off the bat. Some way... This is maybe coming at it from a weird angle, but it's something I've been thinking about like a lot more lately. And I wanted, I, I think this might be the opportunity to bring it up. Sure, we, feel free. We've, yeah. we've seen a lot of, one one angle from which we see a lot of inefficiency in town is that we actually, is through uh, the, uh, well, the contracting process. And we should be, not only have we seen a lot of like, well, 
poorly implemented contracts where maybe there's overages, maybe it's taking longer than expected, maybe there's lawsuits involved with it. This keeps happening. I mean, I just saw the article where the uh, at the waste tram- or waste treatment facility or whatever that uh, it's suddenly what quadrupled in price, like two hundred thousand to no quintupled, I guess two hundred thousand to a new waste scale project. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, not not that these things can be be avoided in all cases, but this is something we could do as a city is just make a what you could call a city engineering core where we just do it in house. We could just we could have we could hire people. We could make sure we have a lot of good jobs in town that are paid right. We could uh, even make sure that their pays are tied to inflation. We could make sure they're trained well. We could have greater oversight because this isn't a private corporation doing it. And mind you, this this is speaking um, more in a, since it is kind of a hypothetical. This is more from an abstract point because that is something that would cost a bit upfront to to implement. But then again, in the long run, it'll save us money. You've got to spend money to make money, and just all with all of the money we have wasted with well, well, all this fussing about, like I said, and also the money that we will inevitably be wasting just by virtue of hiring a contractor to do this. Their mind is on profit, They're, so they must. By virtue of needing to exist as a firm in a capitalist society, they need to extract as much profit as they can to be able to remain viable. So they're going to be incorporating a huge profit margin into this project. If we were doing it in-house, as it were, we could just put it up for cost, you know? Well, I mean, not exactly. That's oversimplifying, but we just make savings by virtue of doing it ourselves. Yeah, and kind of in relation to that, too, as one of the projects that falls into that category would be the police station. So on the topic of police and policing it's always a hot button one and this, it, mm-hmm. there seems to be a reluctance to even talk about the police budget it's it's the largest line item in the budget every year no one wants to talk about it but you you've been very forthright though uh you mentioned in your campaign material you would rein in an out of control police force so how and we know that the mayor when elected sits on the, the police board how would you as mayor how would you like to see that achieved how would it be possible to rein in the police as you say um, immediately, the only way I see this happen is police are kind of, um, they kind of can just do their own thing for the large part. Of course, I can offer like a present instructions as it were, such as they can like maybe change the way they enforce things. I don't think they're obligated to listen to the mayor on that, or at least, at least there's no uh, mechanism of enforcement. So the main way, as I've said many places in my life during this campaign, is just defunding them. I don't mean zero dollars. I mean, while I'm against the uh, police force of the, as has been implemented by the by and for the bourgeois state, we do nonetheless need some degree of policing as it exists in our society. It needs to be changed to be, well, it needs to be completely changed to, uh, well, basically not be policing anymore, but that will take time. The main way I'm, I intend to do this is straight up just defunding them. Like, I mean, I don't sure the actual, I don't know the floor on it, but maybe even to the, the minimum that the province allows us to fund them. Because 20% of our budget is insane. That's twice as much by proportion as Toronto spends. Police don't keep us safe. People feel like they do, but well, when, when's a lot, like, what'll, what'll happen when you, oh no, someone has stolen my bike, you call the cops, they'll come, they'll take a report, um, they'll leave and you'll never see a bike again. They can't, they don't stop crime. They just make you feel as though someone's doing something about it. The, the, the real thing, that bike, again, that bike, that bike was stolen by someone who, for one reason or another, doesn't have their material needs met. They either need a bike or money to meet their needs if we address poverty first we won't need the cops yeah so let's talk about that for a minute then in relation to let's say affordability in general you mm-hmm. talked a bit about the housing crisis and of course we know the rents are extortionate in town people can't afford to buy oh, yeah. now part of your, your vision is for solutions is, is is very different from a lot of the other candidates 
Uh, can you can you talk a bit about the proposals that you have for the uh, unhoused? Yeah, for the unhoused, one thing I would love to, it would never get through council, but I would love to just straight up, because this, mind you, this is something that is legal, or I mean, sorry, there's nothing stopping it. It's not currently on, in law, but nothing stopping us from implementing the expropriation of housing, the city just taking it. Because there are like, well, we're we're currently, there's some disputes between like some certain other uh, mayoral candidates and I regarding specific numbers on vacant housing. And maybe the definition of vacant housing that we're each using is a problem there. But there are far more than enough houses that have been left to rot, abandoned completely, than there are people who have to live on the street in town. We could just give, the, give them houses, but that's not going to happen. So in lieu of that, I would like to be able to fund, um, well, social housing more. Like Wellington, Wellington County Social Services, I've been engaged with a lot of people who live in, in social housing. They are doing something wrong. I'm not sure what it is, but there is either they're not being funded well enough, they're not communicating well enough, or something anyway. So we need to, I would like to like deepen our relationship with them and maybe talk about what's going on there. And because conceptually, like hypothetically, they should be doing very, like they, and they do do very important work, but they should be able to be doing more with what they've got. Maybe I'm wrong. That could be the case. But anyway, funding places like, well, funding well, social services, for example, is one way we can do that. And well, one way we could do that, besides, say, redirecting funds from the police, is this vacancy tax they keep bringing up. This would apply not to just like a... Because one of the ways I'm seeing that the statistics on vacant housing is being calculated is housing that is available, not occupied, and available for rent, which is not most of the vacant housing that I've personally seen or been told about. Like there's a ton of stuff that just being, I spoke to some people that live in the metalworks, the metalworks over by the river. That is, uh, well, I, I don't want to say specific numbers, but it is quite empty as they say. No, those are just not there for one reason or another. Maybe they're too expensive. Maybe they're just holding on to them to, for speculation purposes. Uh, either way, those ones aren't included in the numbers, but regardless, we need to impose a vacancy tax. We can either get a huge amount of revenue because I'm calling for not the usual kind where it's at like one, two, five percent, but like I've been saying 30. I would go as high as, well, expropriation, as I said. But either way, we could get a huge revenue stream from like these potentially thousands of vacant houses in town, or we could vastly increase our housing supply, which would drop the price just by virtue of the law of supply and demand. And so either we have more money with which we can help to implement, say, rent geared to income housing or funding community land trusts, as I mentioned, or just giving it to Wellington Social Services for them to snap up some uh, some of the existing housing stock. Um, or, yeah, again, we just have more houses available. and We don't have to spend as much um, paying for the infrastructure for new developments. Let's talk transit, because, well, oh, few sure. do, but one of Gulf Politico's favorite topics is transit. So I'll ask <laughs> on right. behalf of uh, Adam. So in your platform, you mentioned free yeah. and accessible transit. And yeah. The budget is difficult to get at. In fact, not available on the on the city's website oh, right yeah, now. But right. one of one of the key things to that would be the the financing of it would be mm-hmm. where, where would the money come from from that? So how would you if you were if you as mayor were to make oh, okay. transit a free service? How how would you implement that? Is it just a matter of just make everything free, uh, take money from somewhere else, reduce the size of it? Well, reduce the size absolutely not. Like again, we we've got. Even just with regards to that one, well, the one source of uh, revenue redirection I mentioned, like say half or more of the police budget, that's that's tens of millions of dollars with which we can fund some extra stuff. There is a small savings we'll actually get from it. I mean, I'm not even cer- certain it would be 
worth mentioning, but there's a lot of bureaucracy involved with gatekeeping, like, you know, all these silly little programs for uh, like subsidized, uh, well, bus passes. Well, not, not that they don't help people, but we could just eliminate that bureaucracy, make thing, make it so that it runs smoother and doesn't cost as much in terms of personnel and operation in that regard. But again, yeah, we could just take money from elsewhere. And again, and also like, say we, uh, oh, Actually, this is this is this is what a good place. Actually, I'd like to bring up a. It's not something that we could do immediately, but it's something I'd like to work on. It's we need to fight for tax reform. As I kind of indicated earlier in this, well, not even just kind of, as I spoke on uh, earlier in this interview, most of the money that's most of the value, I should say, that's produced in this town just leaves forever. We never see it again. And but by virtue of Ontario law, we can't tax, for example, uh, our large industries for either profit or wealth. And, so we'll never it's just we, we have a lot more we should have a lot more money to work with but we're being choked in a little bit of a way so something i'd like to do is along with i think a number of the other a number of council uh, candidates are thinking along the same lines is fight for tax reform we need to be able to tax things like well yeah wealth we need to be able to tax things like uh well profit we need to i'd even like to have property tax uh exemptions changed such that we can do things like tax the catholic church or ca tax uh Graveyards. I have no idea why these are tax-free, especially in an age of, well, I mean, not graveyards, but Catholic Church being exempt from taxes in this age of truth and reconciliation, or so it's said, absurd. And another organization in town that's exempt for certain taxes anyway is the university. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. So, now, you, cool. you came to Guelph as a student, as you said, and stayed, so did I, so of countless other people, and the links between the university and the city itself are, are pretty deep. Uh, how do you see that relationship between the city and the university? Is there room for, let's say, more integration uh, of services and just the the connections between the university and the city? Or should they just kind of stand alone as they are now? Do you see, is there any room for deeper links there, more improvement? Yeah, I do think it's important to reduce how kind of silent, it's not, it's not completely, but it's a little bit siloed off. And that's not just inefficient, but it just, it just doesn't make sense. We are basically one and the same as in terms of entities, in terms of our fates. If the city wasn't here, they wouldn't be here. And if they weren't here, the city would be a whole lot different. One way we could maybe do this, is you might see, some people may have seen in my platform, maybe I've mentioned it a couple of times in various outlets. I want to implement something for our local economy called uh, the community, I think it was a community, integrated community wealth models. That's it. That's uh, maybe be a little much to get into in, in, in its totality here, but one of the elements of that is establishing something called anchor institutions, which is local, small, small industries, large industries, anyway, local producers or local businesses that are, oh, excuse me, I got that backwards, but there, there should be local institutions, say, um, the university could act as an anchor institution for what I was just describing before, like, they do actually already source, say, a lot of their honey, if not all of their honey, from the, uh, the Honeybee Research uh, Center. And that is a that is a great example of how a instit local institution can act as a quote-unquote anchor institution for local economic factors. We could expand things like this. We could have it such that we produce locally more, more of the things that they use regularly. Uh, say even, actually, this is maybe a little bit, a uh, little, out, not out there, but a little bit much, but say, say maybe we have a local um, a printer that makes the textbooks locally or something. But I guess that would have, that would involve breaking up the the publishing monopoly that exists as it is. Hey, that would be a great thing to fight for, though. Well, yeah, there did, yeah. there used to be a publisher in the in the basement of the UC, now long gone. But uh, oh god, if only a, we'll, let's bring that back. 
I think there's a lot of people would agree with you on that one for sure. Okay. So uh, what's your view on the, on the so-called strong mayor legislation? Oh. Premier Ford says, so when somebody gets elected as mayor, it will, in his words, mean something, which I'm not sure how the other mayors, everybody who's been a mayor up until now <laughs> feels about that, him saying that. How do you feel? What, what What's your take on that? You know, could a, could a mayor of a, a city in Ontario benefit from stronger powers or is there possibility of overreach let's say absolutely there's a possibility of overreach the uh the danger of it is is that it puts too much it will it, 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 it's anti-democratic it takes away the de- democratic element effectively of our local uh, well our municipality for example there could be i mean this is speaking for myself say say someone quote unquote uh, good gets in they could maybe do a lot of good in, the, in short order in the, with strong mayor powers but that's just that's like basically going back to uh, the days of royalty. Like, oh, we had a good king. We didn't. We weren't starving under this king. It's it's absurd. It's not right. It's not. It's not even. I mean, in a way, it's even inefficient. Like, we we get the best results through democracy, through the implementation of democracy, democratic uh, the democratic will, I should say, of the people. That is to say, I am opposed to this uh, this legislation. It's absurd. Here's a hypothetical we, we present everyone with, you know, massive mayoral power or not, but assuming that you're elected mayor in November or in October, but f- for the November sitting, yeah, what would be your first order of business? What would you like to see as the number one thing on the agenda when council sits for the first time after the election? It's got to be tabling a vacancy tax. I think that's the thing we can implement most quickly. Um, and it would have the largest uh, relative effect given the uh, time frame where operating under okay so we've come to the end of our time but so as a final appeal to the voters of guelph why should people choose danny drew as their choice for mayor at the polls on october 24th people should choose me because this town is a lot of people won't i mean more people are admitting it this town is dying it's being choked and like i've seen it go from well i've spoken to my neighbors and they've seen it and they're like 20 some years here go from just absolutely well, not that it isn't beautiful now, but just a thriving like cu- cultural center, basically of, I guess you could call it southwestern Ontario. But and even even me in my thirteen years here, it's, it's been the the local scenes much less vibrant. Everyone is being priced out; they have to leave. And now we're just we're being slowly, largely populated by people who basically just live not sleep here. You know, like people who are just commuting to and from Toronto every day. It's just becoming a well, a giant hotel, the colors being sapped from it. Not only that, but the amount of people that, like the increase in suffering that I have to see every day, just by, like, you know, I'll see new new homeless people ro- rolling into town or new people who have just become, will just become homeless any, any given week, any given month. It, this, this isn't sustainable. We need to help one another. We need to stop putting our fates, our lives into the hands of the free, the invisible hand of the free market. It is invisible because it doesn't exist. We're going to fall. I think we just need to make a serious change. We need to stop this car. We need to turn it around. Okay. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Danny. And if people would like to find out more about you and your campaign or to get in touch in these final days, uh, how can they do that? Best way is just dannyformayor.com. D-A-N-N-Y for the number M-A-Y-O-R. Dot com. Any, you got all kinds of different ways to contact me through there. There's forms, there's emails, numbers, um, my social media, etc. Okay, well, thanks again and best of luck in the rest of the campaign.
Thank you very much. Have a good one. Okay, so that was Scotty's interview with Danny Drew. Sorry, I have too many darn names in front of me. So it's like this this doing three this doing three. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 great. Although we have been doing shows with five people. So anyway, this is our problem, not yours, listener. Uh, we're gonna take a brief pause, and then after the pause, we're gonna get right into our interview with Sheila McFarlane. And I'm going to say this right now. Um, some of the views expressed, we were joking about phrasing it that way before we started recording, but some of the views expressed by Sheila McFarland obviously stray from, shall we say, the accepted facts between all parties in this election. So um, I think it's fair to say that Sheila is a conspiracy theorist and um, has some deep-rooted suspicions about institutions and powers. And I did try to my best to mine underneath that heavy layer of misinformation. But she is a mayoral candidate. She is on the ballot. And I think, and I think Scotty would agree, it's important to hear what people who put their name forwards for the election say. So I just want to garnish the interview with just that um, that word of warning that you are going to hear some things that don't necessarily mesh with your understanding of current politics in Guelph or in Canada. So fair's fair. Mm. So, um, but we did interview Sheila and we're going to play that next. You are listening to Open Sources here on CFRU. Uh, so Sheila McFarland, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's uh, it's nice to finally connect, Adam. Yes, uh, it is. Yeah. Um, I guess to start off with, and I've heard you say this at a, at a couple of debates um, when you know you were asked about why you're running for mayor. You, you say that um, we don't have a mayor uh, essentially in Guelph, and I'm curious to have you kind of explain how, like why you think that is why and, and how you reached that conclusion. Yeah. Like what is, what is our current mayor kind of lacking in terms of, I guess, official capacity that you're talking about? Um, there's been an incorporation that's happened and what we're seeing now is um, the title of mayor, but he's actually operating as just the head of council uh, for the city right now. He's, um, through the public-private partnerships. And there's a big difference between being a public mayor and a, a public official than an employee of a municipal corporation. Um, and I noticed, too, actually, I was just going through these strong mayor powers that people are, are asking me about. And the legislation actually talks about just it, the powers to the head of council. So... Mm -hmm. Um, we don't have a mayor per se, and it's, it's really strange because I've been spending the last two months almost trying to get an answer from Christopher Cooper, the city solicitor, as to who has authority over the mayor or the office of the mayor and who swears in a mayor because they are classified under the Criminal Code of Canada as a federal agent and a peace officer in their public capacity under a true oath. Now, the city solicitor keeps directing me to the Municipal Act and the Municipal Oath. 
Well, the municipal corporation has no authority over a mayor. They only have the authority over things that which they create. They don't create the mayor and they don't create the office. The people that elect the mayor create the government because the, the government, the definition of government is that who holds the consent of the governed. And, and that position is a public position. Just like your prime minister is supposed to be a public official at the federal level, your premier is a public position or trustee um, at the provincial level, your mayor is at the local level. That has been converted or reduced into only an employee that takes orders from what ultimately, through this Agenda 2030, is taking orders from private global corporations. I'm curious... Sorry, I, I'm I'm just um, I, I, speaking. Just you know, for myself, I'm I I I'm glad we're getting this opportunity to talk because I'm a little confused by all of this. Because you are technically correct, um, the word mayor is not used in the municipal act. It is uh, the head not, of council. It's, no, it's not in right. It's the word mayor isn't even in the municipal act. So why right. why would we go to a piece of legislation that doesn't even have the term mayor in it? The, the, the Criminal Code of Canada is the one that has the term mayor in it because it has the authority over that office and that position. So for the municipal corporation to say they can delegate or they can order or they have control over a mayor, they can't. They do have control over a head of council, but that's an employee converted within their corporation. They're two different animals. They're two different creatures. A mayor is under the umbrella of law and do no harm. And, and a, a head of council is under the umbrella of legal and, and all these what code of code of conducts and, and leg- corporate charters that can be changed on a whim. And I mean, they're even implementing things in the municipal act that, that we don't even know. How can a mayor swear to a municipal act when it's being changed behind his back or her back? Who's changing a municipal act behind the, our back? We have no I mean, it's, it's all being done through a, left, a lieutenant governor in council. But these, again, with public-private partnerships and agencies attached to our public offices, these changes in legislation are being done through corporate charters and amendments. Like, for instance, all those COVID restrictions that came down locally in Guelph, they were all implemented, one from the signature from the mayor, Cam Guthrie, signed both as mayor in his public capacity and as head of council as his private global mayor capacity and all of those restrictions were implemented on the ground using city bylaws it was not by instruction of the province or the federal government it was not legislated it was done through an emergency order implemented through gam cam guthrie's signature that's the power now of when you incorporate your public officials into a corporate environment, which they are within the city when they get sworn in. So actually, all our councillors and any mayor that's elected, if they take the municipal oath, they're under a false oath. They've been elected to do the consent of the governed, which is the local people, not the global agenda, which is what the city is following due to their board of directors. Okay, well, let me just pause here for a second, because when you use sure. an expression like private global mayor, what does that mean? Private global mayor, actually, um, and I just noticed today that CAM is part of the World Covenant of Mayors. 
Um, and it's a United Nations uh, part of the global leader programs uh, that Klaus Schwab admitted to of the World Economic Forum. He said that he penetrated all levels of government using the global leader program. So what CAM is now involved in through private partnerships with, say, the International Council on Local Environmental Initiatives or his partnership with the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, he becomes a global mayor under these United Nations covenants. So he's actually implementing a global agenda and doesn't work for you, which is why I say we don't have a mayor. A mayor is responsible for implementing a local agenda and to take uh, to protect and serve the local uh, residents here. Well, I hate using the word resident because that's a, a commercial term. Well, I, I would argue that it's probably a bit more apt because we do have people who live in Guelph who aren't citizens, um, but are, are residents here. They live here. Um, but it, it, to, to get to the other thing, though, um, is it not incumbent? And maybe you've thought about this, like if, if you are elected mayor, you will have to have some sort of relationship with the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, the Association of Municipalities Ontario, Ontario oh, absolutely. Mayors. But absolutely. If, yeah. it feels like you're kind of calling those groups illegitimate. They're, they're under, right now, they're presently, um, yes, I believe they're under a global governance due to the World Economic Forum, one through pensions and private and, and investor programs, and that's all traceable. I mean, the World Economic Forum has no no qualm about letting us know that. So is that what you mean? Or I, I guess, uh, you know, when you say things like global, you know, private corporations, organizations, when you're talking about these things and talking about the FCM, um, you know, there is an annual meeting where the FCM brings together municipal leaders from across the country. And I, I guess, are, are you, I guess how how do you, how do you see these these groups that are important for like sort of collective advocacy to the higher levels of government? Um, you know, would you be as as mayor? Would you support Guelph continuing to be a part of MCM or a AMO or any of these groups? Uh, the position of mayor is to oversee. He he doesn't get actually in the corporate or involved in the mechanics or the administration. That's why we have a chief administrative officer. That's yes. why we have municipal corporation. The the mayor and the councillors basically just do the will of the wards. They take they take input from the wards. Um, each level they come to their own council, not an incorporated council, which is the council of the whole. That's the city. Municipal government is not the same thing as local government. All right. So your public officials stay outside of the corporation so they can oversee it. They're, they're arm's length. There's no conflict of interest. They can't go in with biases. They can't be bought. And, and what happens now is the city actually has become a monopoly of services due to the incorporation of our officials having to follow whatever agenda is coming to the table. And if you notice, and I'm sure you're very well aware of this, the, the, the chief administrative officer is the one that is controlling the agenda. And Cam has actually admitted to, to me himself that, oh, I'm just one vote at the table. Well, how is that right. possible when you have the highest jurisdiction? It's, it's only possible if you have been converted from your lawful authority of a public trustee in charge of 
the trust accounts, more or less, the local trust accounts, if you want to put it under trust law or equity law, you've been denuded to go and take a position within what I call Muni World, and you're, you're a CEO of Muni World under the, the, the guidelines and, and corporate rules of Muni World, but you forgot that, hey, you're bigger and better outside of that. You control that. You have authority over that. So it's not that I wouldn't, I wouldn't partner with them. Your, your public officials can't partner because your private corporations are commercial. And so their, their only motive, their, their mission is for profit. And, and so you can't put your public officials in a commercial environment. Okay. They're not, to make a, they're not to make a profit off of you. They're to be your guardian and to protect and serve you and to make sure they're, they're your wards. They're not, they're, they're local wards. They're not wards of the state or wards of the city state. So it's a conversion of, of throwing us into a commercial money environment instead of that protective government layer that protects us from a corporate takeover, which is now happening globally. Every municipality, every country is experiencing a corporate coup d'etat by these large, large businesses. Okay, then can you tell me then, like, in terms of how you see a corporate takeover here, like, what what has been taken over by, by corporations here in Guelph? I, I guess... What, how, how is life in different, life different in Guelph today because of this corporate takeover than it was well, let, four years let's ago? Let's see. Let's see. For one thing, calling um, City Hall private is very offensive to me. I was locked out of, of City Hall during COVID because I can't wear a mask. I was traumatized with masks and, and, um, and, and men. And if I put one on, I will either throw up or pass out. So, but I had to get a letter to Cam and I was locked out of my own city hall and they told me it was private. Now, any building that is receiving public money is considered public building and you cannot be locked out of it. So that is, is indication number one that we've lost control. Mm-hmm. The, the other indication is, is, I mean, the wants and needs around here are horrendous. There's absolutely no reason. I'm going through neighborhoods by foot delivering, de- delivering papers, and I'm seeing million-dollar properties, but horrendous conditions of, of, of everybody and, and tents. And I'm going, what, where is all this money going? Well, the job in, in Agenda 2030, the global to local job of the mayor is to transfer the local funds into global private investor projects. And that's why my only platform issue is you can talk about anything else you want, but unless you have control of the local wallet and the purse strings, you won't get any sort of local agenda or say. And that's unanimous when I'm going door to door is that people say, I can't reach my counselor. I can't reach. There's no, I, there, I have no say that nobody's answering my calls. And your, your public official is sworn, has a duty to respond to you. They work for you. And what's happening now is since they get paid through the corporation, the municipal corporation pays the salaries of our public trustees. Well, there is a conflict of interest right there. The, the, the electorate should be paying them directly. And therefore, if, if they don't answer to the electorate, their salaries can be, can be eliminated. Well, what's a mayor's salary? $154,000? 
Well, again, I'm, like, I'm confused because what are you saying? There's two structures. There's the structure, um, the public structure and, and a private yes. structure. Yes. Yes. It's the public office and, and your public officials, which are elected, they answer to you when they're here for the local level. Your private structure is the private municipal service corporation that's attached to us, the city of Guelph. That's the corporation of the city of Guelph. Do you know who that's registered or who, who runs that or who owns that corporation? Well, isn't that a, you know, essentially the, the corp, I mean, all most cities are a corporation uh, you know now, right? The corporation of the city of Guelph that we are taking all our orders from. Why don't you tell me? Our mayor two years ago to lock down the city, to close our businesses, to to close down our hospitals and our long-term care, and to inject everybody? Do you think that came from a, a locally controlled municipal service corporation where people had a say in that? Or do you think that was a top-down global order to our mayor? Where did he take that order come from? Or do you think that was a Canadian order from the federal government or the provincial government? Because the trucker's convoy proved in February that we have no federal government. I don't they, recall that. How did they Ottawa, prove that? How did they prove that? When they got to Ottawa on January 28th, Justin Trudeau flew to the West Coast and went in seven-day quarantine, so he deserted the House of, of Commons, and Aaron O'Toole, our official opposition leader, resigned, which proved we had no federal representation. The next thing that happened is the truckers called a second emergency meeting for any provincial level, anybody from the science table, from the public health agency, from Tam, um, Teresa Tam, Barbara Yaffe, Kieran Moore, um, MPs, MPPs, anybody that could come to the table. All the truckers wanted was to see the science on why they had to quarantine 10 days each time they crossed the border. Nobody showed up for that second meeting. And three days later, they slammed down the War Measures Act and the whole, the whole atmosphere of Ottawa completely changed. We had troops that didn't speak English and didn't talk to us. We had horses, we had people smashing trucks when all the, we did was go to ask to see the science. So that basically proved we have no government. The other thing that happened was Klaus Schwab has admitted, and you can research this and Google this, Adam, I'm not making this up. Klaus Schwab admitted he's penetrated Canadian government using the Deputy Prime Minister, Christopher Freeland, using Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and using the global leader and the global mayor programs, which Cam Guthrie is a member on in ICLEI on the website and the Covenant of Global Mayors on that website. So don't tell me we're not we're not following a global agenda under a global mayor and that we have a mayor because a mayor only answers to the wards and nobody is here answering to the wards. And that's why I'm running. These people need help. Not okay. Sorry, I, I don't. I don't mean to to get so that's, too loud. I hope that that's okay. I I'm trying to understand this too, right? Because well, if you read, if, Adam, if you read the documents, I put every document up there from mm -hmm. the signing of the United Nations Sustainable Development in June of 1992 at the Conference of Environment and Development in Rio de Janeiro, where Canada signed on as a member state of the United Nations. On that signature in 1992, Canada ceased being a nation. People need to wake up to this. They became a United Nations member state following the United Nations Agenda 21-2030. 
This is all then down came the implementation from the Federation of Canadian Municipalities and from the International Council on Local and Environmental Initiatives on how to restructure the local governments to partner with these private sustainable development corporations so that those can be implemented directly from global corporations down to the local level and they could bypass all the national levels and all the le legislation there. They could bypass the provincial level and all the problems there and they can do everything from a global agenda to a bylaw. Boom, like that. And we saw that with COVID. Boom, they came up down to us and two weeks to flatten the curve ended up to be two and a half years and four jabs. And I think we better stop and reassess what's going on in Guelph. And I, that's why I'm putting my hat in. And I haven't met anybody that disagrees with me and thinks this is a dumb platform because it's the only solution, in my opinion. You can okay. talk about whatever, prettying up the, the rooms of the house. But if your foundation is cracked, and we have a major crack in the foundation here, I wouldn't build any more. I wouldn't talk about coloring any more rooms. I wouldn't talk about buses and getting further in debt because every infrastructure project is being tied to private money and it won't be a public asset once they're finished. I guarantee you that. We've had 20 years of secret mayor meetings and private investor deals with handshakes that you don't know about. Energy deals, water deals that you have no idea about. You want to see the cost of living come down in Guelph immediately? You get your mayor back in position of a public official and trustee under a lawful authority, and you get him or her controlling these municipal corporations that have no authority, okay. no legitimacy, and no jurisdiction in Guelph. Okay, again, Sheila, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand. Okay. I know. Um, I know. It's been 30 years, Adam, and it's and fascism does not just show up at your door one morning and say, I'm here. It comes in very, very slowly. And this started in 1992. And actually, okay. the real key was the Municipal Act in 2001. The Municipal Act was our Canadian version of the Patriot Act in 2001. It was a global to local lockdown. Uh, this was actually started by Pierre Trudeau with the Charter, and it's just being finished with his son. Justin Castro. Okay. That's, I mean, that's a lot. Um, yeah, I know. I know. I'm sorry. But, but I, I do want to address one thing on your website. Okay. You, you said, um, you know, Guelph's future um, does not belong to globalists. And mm -hmm. I wonder if you understand that globalist is often used as a anti-Semitic slur against Jewish people. Anti what? anti-semitic anti, anti as, as mean like mean? Uh, to discriminate against jewish people <laughs> global i mean you, global you means, globalist global means yes of the globe and ist means the condition of so it, it's the condition of something that is global i understand if you've inferred a Jewish anti-Semitic, then I'm not responsible for inferences. I don't okay. know how you got there. The globalist means... Well, it's, it's kind of well understood. I mean, it, it's kind of well understood that a lot of people use globalist no, as a well dog. Understood. All of my well, friends, it's... when they hear globalist, they know that I mean global corporations. I, I don't think they would ever think Jew or Semitic or, or okay. black or red or 
I don't get that at all. I, I really don't understand any of this disinclusion or, or exclusion. I, I really don't understand that. But no, a globalist is, is someone that comes from a global okay. agenda that benefits okay. the upper 1% echelon. And a local mayor it wants a local agenda that benefits the people here because they need some help. They need serious help. Okay. The, let me just ask you this then. Now, understanding perhaps that there are a lot of people who mean, um, you know, harm against our, our Jewish friends in the community by using the word globalist. There was a vandalism on the local synagogue a couple of weeks ago. Um, there is anti-Semitic sentiment. Is, is that perhaps not something you should look at on, on your website? And, and, you know, if you mean... Did they have word, did they write the word globalist on the synagogue? I don't know what exactly they have did not. They, did they put a, like a, a picture of the world or, or a planet on it? I'm not what, sure. What, how, does, how does the synagogue tie to a globalist? Like what, to say, what I'm, I'm saying is, I understand. I'm not responsible for anybody inferring my term. If I understand. If you go into the etymology of globalist and you go right to the meaning of the worm, and I'm really glad you, you, you clarified terms because I think that's a big problem here, is people don't understand what, what words we're using. For example, when you word, use the word municipal, that actually means corporation. It does not mean local. So anytime you hear the word municipal or municipality, it means corporation or corporate or city. It does not mean your local government or any. So that's why when words are, are get skewed, I, I'm not responsible if somebody's miskewing them. What I meant, though, a globalist is, is are, are these global big companies that are coming into the little towns to take over under their global agenda and not to the best interest of the local people. I understand so, that's what you mean, but I'm going to read you something from yeah. The Atlantic. Uh, the Anti-Defamation League's Jonathan Greenblatt said... Uh, quote, where the term originates globalist is from a reference to Jewish people who are seen as having allegiances not to their countries of origin like the United States, but to some global conspiracy. So it, it's he calls it a parrot term, which is rooted in prejudice. So I'm just I'm just asking, like, perhaps can, can we at least agree that when you're talking about uh, some global agenda, you're not talking about Jewish people? Oh, I'm, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, the glow, like I say, the global agenda is is that that corporate takeover where they're they're and they're very open and honest about it. It's all in writing. They want th these towns either demolished and create, you know, individual city states or human settlements. So no, no. And and as far as inclusion, I've always, always, always been one that I I only judge a person by their character and their actions. I don't I don't even see color. I don't I don't. And I I I'm I, I thank God for my my training in addictions because when you're you're taking care of people that are suffering from addictions or mental health you can't see anything other than their suffering and and that to me when when I look at a person that's all I see I don't see anything of where they're coming from or what their label is but right now I see extreme evil happening here and an extreme evil agenda that that damn near killed us last year by getting a mayor to give us medical advice when he has no license to do so. And he never even asked about the product. He didn't even know there was no product monograph in the boxes. And now we're getting whistleblowers saying that this was extremely dangerous. And that's why I'm running is that mayor was 
pivotal in this global agenda to come here. And I want to be the one that protects Guelph from the next attempt. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't recall ever hearing Mayor Cothery give out medical advice. I think his advice was to he, follow he wanted, the advice. He, wanted a, he was aiming to get everybody vaccinated. Yes, he I think he was. AstraZeneca he, and AstraZeneca has since been pulled from the market. But he, he wasn't writing prescriptions, though. Lawsuit. Sorry? He wasn't writing prescriptions, though. He was asking people to follow he the advice of the medical, medical officer. advice on Facebook, telling people to go get vaccinated. I believe That's he was following the... pharmaceutical. If he was pulled, well, you know what? In Nuremberg trials, it was proven that just following orders is not an excuse, especially when you know it could potentially harm someone. That okay. is not an excuse. I... Okay. This is why it's a very important position, Adam, here in town to protect us. Okay. Well, why don't we, why don't we leave it there then? Uh, Sheila, right. if uh, people want to learn more, maybe see some of this documentation you've been talking about, where can people find your campaign website? It's all, all under resources. I've got all the documents that start off from the United Nations first signing in 1992 that Canada signed on to, and then the supplemental documents that were downloaded to every town. So Guelph got theirs, I think, in 1996 we're all here. We all care. We all want to help. Let's all pull together and do this uh, for everybody's sake, because the, the people that are calling the shots here don't live here. And you really don't want that. The CAO, um, Scott Stewart, was specifically brought in here and, and he has no vested interest in, in Guelph like like I do, like you do, like like everybody I talk to does. So. Okay. But, well, yeah. it was it was interesting talking to you, Sheila. Uh, yeah. Thank you for your yeah. time today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Adam. You take care. Okay. So once again, that was mayoral candidate Sheila McFarland. And uh, in case you missed the the tag at the beginning, um, Sheila is a conspiracy theorist. So her views and everything you just heard may not necessarily line up with your conventional understanding of wealth politics and and common sources of information um so just kind of be aware of that as you're thinking about what you just heard um again though sheila is a mayoral candidate and um thus worthy of us to to sort of put her on the air and try to interrogate some of the things that uh, she says and believes and uh that as they say is that and those views are not of those of this show cfru or the university yeah now clear. we're covered now we're covered <laughs> <laughs> all right i sure um, hope so it's getting the hour is getting late so we will uh throw it to a man who pretty much needs no introduction because he's been mayor the last eight years and has been a frequent guest on this show mayor cam guthrie so we're going to throw it to the interview that I did with Mayor Cam uh, starting right now. Cam Guthrie, thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, you don't know this, but um, our listeners will have just heard uh, from another mayoral candidate, Miss um, McFarland, who has uh, said some things about the nature of the, the job and, and uh, as Guelph mayor and, and some of the things that you've done. I'm curious um, to get your kind of where you're coming from when somebody kind of confronts you with some things that uh, may not, I guess, make sense in the total reality of 
well, reality. Um, you know, and you've you've literally sat next to Sheila as she said some things about you and the job. And and I'm curious, you know, what 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 do you think? <laughs> uh well, I think you know, freedom of speech is great and democracy is showing itself um in real life. And um I also barely understand anything that she's saying. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, that's my point of view, but maybe she is uh, connecting with some others, uh, and that's that's the wonderful part of choice. <laughs> All right, I'll take that as an answer. Uh, but it does lead me to another question. It's kind of more general. Um, you know, y- y- a lot of your competition uh, has not run for office before. Um, they have not uh, had government roles in government in Guelph government anyway I'm curious about you know in in the chance that you are um not uh reelected you know when you, when you're talking to people who maybe are coming to this a bit fresh you know what what are some of the things about being Guelph's mayor that maybe you'd like them or even just the general uh voting population to know like what's I guess what are the the hidden aspects of life in the mayor's office that you don't really get a chance to talk about? Yeah, well, I think the first thing I would say, if if I was not elected, I would help whoever the next mayor is. Um, That wasn't afforded to me. Um, And I think, you know, part of being um, passing the baton off to somebody else is, uh, you know, to be there for the next person uh, in line, especially if you want to care for the city as much as you do, it shouldn't matter if you're the elected person or not, you could still try to be involved. So I would definitely help, uh, you know, to whatever degree the winning person was that wanted me to help uh, to try to navigate uh, through it a little bit. Uh, The, I guess one of the biggest things, Adam, is most of what you do is really about relationships Mm. uh, and uh, trying your very, very best to leave things, um, your preconceived notions or your ideology or whatever is making you um, think you have the right answers, you got to leave that and you got to be really open-minded to either feedback from your fellow counselors, feedback from staff or the citizens. And you you have to really, really work on that and I, I will say that that took me a little while to get to do. I, I have no problem saying that out loud. Like you, you come in with these preconceived ideas that, you know, you know, it should be this way mm. or it should be that way. And it doesn't work. Sometimes you are wrong and you need to be able to uh, hear another side of an idea to get to what's better at the end of the day for everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, You need to learn how to do all that, though, through relationships. And uh, I would say that 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 has done me well over the last uh, eight years and even uh, before that as a counselor uh, with individuals, with, uh, you know, the county of Wellington, as an example, upper levels of government. Um, You know, I put a lawn sign on a couple people's lawns just this last week. Uh, that did not vote for me last time, uh, I, and uh, and now they've you know they've come around to see that I am maybe not the boogeyman as people thought I was going to be, and uh, so I think that's because of good relationships. So I would say whoever gets in, 
it's about relationships. Can can you say and maybe it's without betraying confidences or whatever, but you know, did they tell you what made the difference? You know, why they're now team cam? I think they were just fed a narrative from um, others that I wouldn't be uh, the type of person that I was mm. and have shown to be through action and, and, and not um, through hearsay. And so getting to know me, I think, and what I've uh, committed to on that particular topic of this individual uh, over the last uh, eight years has shown completely opposite of what they were told about me. And they were, it was a nice surprise to have them reach out to me and ask for that lawn sign. On the topic of um, admitting when you're wrong, um, one of the first things you did when you were reelected in 2018, this was more in 2019 at the State of the City, you admitted in, in front of uh, that group that you had not done as much as maybe you should have on issues of homelessness and um, yeah. mental health in Guelph. That was uh, almost four years ago now. Yeah. Um, certainly there have been a lot of additional pressures on those issues. Uh, since uh, that confessional moment, uh, I wonder how you feel looking back now. Have you done, in the aftermath of sort of making that confession, do you feel like you've done everything you can do and do you feel like it has made a difference despite the sort of accelerated challenge of it? You know, saying that out loud, I think was one of the best things that uh, I did. And I think it's one of the things I'll be remembered for, which is fine. Uh, because it not only lit a fire under me when I went off script, kind of saying that at that moment where I said that um, we need to, you know, failed uh, to try to help the homelessness situation in Guelph. And just some context around that. I mean, it was because most of the time it's, we're inundated with being told it's upper levels of government's problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was where I was coming from. It's not. It's also our our problem, too. But I think it also lit a little bit of a fire under the entire community. And I, 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 if, I if we if you look back over four years, we now have three people uh, funded for the Welcoming Streets program. We have a court support worker. We had the... Um, uh, it was like a secure uh, six bed site uh, overnight uh, to help people. I'm sorry, I forget what it was called. Supportive recovery room. That's what right. it's called. Uh, and that's morphed into uh, more going into the supportive housing. Now we have three projects four, if you want to count the Delhi street uh, approved by council um, to move forward on those projects now to house people uh uh, it's just, um, and I think, I think, uh, a little bit with my role as the chair of the Ontario Big City Mayors now, we've elevated that discussion. I can use the Guelph example to bring it to the Ontario Big City Chairs Caucus, which then brings it to the table, like right in the face of the province, right in the face of the feds. And I can use real examples from Guelph to elevate those conversations with those upper levels of government that should be helping, by the way. Uh, and so I think that it's been a really a good thing uh, to be able to admit when you need to resource things differently. And I think, it, I think we've seen some really good results. I think now with the pandemic and coming out of it, it's accelerated it like you wouldn't believe. And actually, I think to myself, and others have said this to me, that 
it's kind of nice to have that foundational stuff that we've done over the last four years. Can you imagine trying to start where we were four years ago with nothing mm -hmm. today? And I think that's a valid comment. I think that's a very valid comment. We have uh, the strategic advisory group that's now started in regards to this issue. We had the supportive housing one and we, we are seeing results. And uh, so I'm glad that that foundational um, framework is there, but we are certainly going to have to do uh, much more moving into the next term for sure. I wonder if that success, though, is a double-edged sword. You, you, meant, you know, you're talking about taking things to the province and the feds and saying, like, look what we can do. But I think in another way, the feds and the province can look down on us and like, well, look what you can do without us. Right. That, you know, we're, we're still kind of trapped in in that zone where we, we we have done for ourselves, but we still need that help. And and but they can certainly point to our success and say, well, you can do it. See, <laughs> Yes. However, um, yes, that, that, that is always a possibility, a hundred percent. So it's important that there is a, probably a line that is not completely crossed over when it comes to things, because we have to hold, just as I'm held to account, or you're held to account on whatever you write, sure. the, 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 the federal and provincial governments need to be held to account too. And that's not just at the ballot box, that's in between the ballot box. And my role is to also hold them to account for what is under their jurisdiction. Um, I will say, though, that, um, that that is a possibility, but we... We, uh, what you're suggesting is a possibility where they could say, see, you, you could do it on your own. But many of the projects that we have done, especially around supportive housing, were not done on our own. Right. They were a collaborative approach between all levels of government and even the nonprofit sector or charity work as well. So it was an all, all, you know, everybody approach, a team approach on those, those particular projects. I want to look at this from the other side for a second. And I, I don't typically notice these things, but I have noticed uh, there are a couple of extra empty storefronts downtown at the moment. And it's made me think about the meeting, the council meeting in the summer where we, you had a lot of the downtown businesses come and talk about the the, the issues that they're facing. Um, that's a pretty powerful group, you know, small business owners who are, are based in the core. We depend on them. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, um, Oh, like, like the approach we have taken on people with addictions, with mental health, people who are homeless has been, I think, for the most part, treating them as like very, like, it's been a very humane approach, a very like individualistic approach. Are we reaching, though, I'm wondering, a kind of conflict between the people who are like business owners invested in downtown, people who want to see sort of that immediate action and perhaps the you know, more slower, more deliberate pace of, of approaching everyone individually. Is, is there potentially conflict coming there? You know what? I think there was a potential, uh, you know, conflict coming there. I would not use maybe define the word as conflict or use the word mm. conflict. I, I think that there is um, correct friction. Uh, if I can put it that way. There's some <laughs> friction there where if we weren't, doing the welcoming streets if we weren't uh we now have a bylaw officer that is going to be stationed there uh in the downtown core in the mornings now if we did not have um cleaners and maintainers that have been hired or being hired sorry uh for the downtown core uh if we didn't have uh, a policing unit dedicated to that area 
And if lastly, if we did not have the downtown advisory committee on this very subject passed by council to actually uh, move ahead to get um, action and results on this issue, then I could see it being a pretty big conflict mm -hmm. uh, because then everyone would say, you, you know, we've been telling you that there's problems and, uh, and you've been ignoring it for a year. Well, I just, you know, just very quickly off the top of my head, just said five or six things there that that is action. I believe that we now really need to move on the downtown advisory committee action, whatever uh, action items they come up with over the next couple of months. And if you'll remember, uh, Adam, in, you know, after I said that, uh, you know, uh, homelessness thing at the state of the city four years ago, mm. you know, we created the mayor's task force right away. And then we were in front of council at budget in three months. Yeah. Okay. And the first thing I told the downtown advisory committee group when we met a couple of weeks ago was exactly that story. I said, four years ago, we got together, some new people in the room, obviously, but we had, we had people that got together. And in three months, we were in front of council with action items to see about getting them approved. I said, we have the exact same opportunity right now. We are here in October. Our budget is at the end of January. And I said, we need to come up with action before the budget is passed, because if we don't do that, it's another year. It's another year with nothing. Uh, so um, that and, and when I said that in the room, everyone was nodding their heads. They're like, yeah, yeah. So I really think that the downtown businesses are seeing effort being made. And um, and I, I hope that uh, whatever is required from an action item, which includes a resourcing part of it, too. Uh, can be brought forward to uh, council at the new budget All in right. January. Okay, well, that's a good segue to to this next question, which is about affordability, which is, I think, a word that everyone running in this election has become quite acquainted with by now. Um, could you tell yeah. us? <laughs> could you tell us how you define affordability? And is there? I hate to use again the word conflict, but I mean affordability does mean something to to everybody like the, the 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 definition of affordability to someone who owns their own home and has a, a good paying job is slightly different from someone who sure of course it's of course. like renting a, an apartment yeah. and I, so I, I guess how are you managing sort of these expectations when you're going to door, door to door and you're talking about affordability and it means something different to everybody well let me answer that question by telling you the conversation i had with somebody just a couple of days ago so i can really drive the point home before i answer that sure I had somebody reach out to me. I never met them before. And they said, hey, I would like to go door to door with you and hand out some of your flyers. I'm like, wow, well, OK, great. <laughs> I'll take you. So <laughs> we go, we start talking, right? We're walking. We start we start talking. And he says, you know what, Cam? Um, I'm on a variable rate mortgage and my mortgage just went up over $700 a month. Mm. And my family's having struggles eating. And uh, so I... When now, so now, now that you have some context, right? Now I know that's just one person, just as you described it. Right. Affordability can be different for everybody else, but that person is a, is a homeowner, as example, as an example. Um, it is real. It, it's a real issue. I just came from Chalmers United Center downtown this morning for a tour there. Like the, just the, just them are helping three hundred families a week. Yeah, just them. Yeah. Oh, okay. So so this the food insecurity. The, the cost of groceries, inflation, uh, rent, ownership, you name it, the affordability, no matter what position somebody is in life, it is real at all, at all of those. 
And so when it comes to the budget, I'm trying to get to your, your question here. When it comes <laughs> to when it comes to the budget, I'll tell you right now, five point something percent is a non-starter for me. Mm. It's a complete non-starter for me. And so we need to treat the affordability crisis as an elected council. This includes staff as well. Staff need to treat it for the real crisis that it actually is. And you don't have to listen to the mayor of Guelph. You know, you read any of the experts. There's that's, a recession coming. That's going to be a pull quote. You don't have to listen to the mayor of Guelph. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, well, <laughs> because, because you don't need to on this, on this issue. It's real. Yeah. And so um, we have to really, really dissect the budget about what is absolutely required and what you know, what is a need? What is a want? What can we pause, stop, push out? What What is controllable? What is not controllable? And I am, I am really hoping that the uh, council and the staff and myself can take our time to really make sure that we look through that. And it may need, it may require, sorry, some really big decisions. Mm. Uh, be, and, and tough decisions, but isn't that why we're uh, elected? And um, so I, I really think that we need to be able uh, to do that. And if I could just say one more thing on that, it's not, it doesn't mean cuts, right? Mm. I, I, I didn't even say the word cuts until right now. I said, pause, stop, reevaluate, whatever, uh, push out. Uh, but uh, there's also affordability can be, as an example, transportation, you know, uh, the one-year pilot project that Councillor McKinnon brought in for the uh, to scale, um, sliding scale transit affordability. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's been a home run. Should we not continue something like that? Yes, I think we should. Well, that make, makes life more affordable for those people that use that. Is the under is the 12 and under free transit been a, been a good thing for families uh, to save some money? I think it has. I think that that also brings affordability. So, so it, affordability doesn't always mean cuts. Right. It can also mean programs in the right spot that help those targeted individuals that might need even more affordability at this time. So, I think it's a it's a it's an interesting lens to look at, not through purely cuts. All right, then let me ask you this. Um, I I think everyone can I, you know when you're talking about these things, everyone can agree, like maybe this budget is too much. This percentage increase is too much, but then we're getting down to what is cut and what isn't cut. That's where one's leadership skills is, is really tested. And I'm, it makes me wonder, and I had this question down anyway, um, are, are you thinking about, in terms of like your your own leadership skills and the way you've sort of guided council through these budget processes before, where you're essentially like lining up motions and knocking them down, which you know, speaking as someone who has to sit there and watch the whole thing, yeah, very effective. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you're, it, it sounds like we're talking about going into a budget process where um, it could be messy, you know, because you 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 have to get to seven on everything, and yep. um, I'm curious how how you've thought about. Um, how you will lead, uh, if you're reelected, of course, how you might lead council in what's going to be a very difficult budget process. Well, I think it's actually going to be um, 
easier than I think some people think. Because number one, when the election's over, the election's over, we are a team. Number two is, uh, you said it right off the top of this, co- uh, of this question, this, this part of the question, you said every single person seems to be saying the word affordability. Right. So we already have a common, common foundation to start our conversations on. Does everyone agree that there's an affordability crisis? I'm sure everyone is going to nod their head. They should. They, they better because there is. So if, we're, that, if that starting point is something that we are all united around, then we can, we can get a path forward. And uh, between you know ne- this coming Monday and January the 28th, we will be able to you know, we will be able to work together over those months with staff and the community to try to figure out how to actually provide that for people. Affordability can also be, you know, it's kind of affordability slash value, right? Mm. At the end of the day, it's like, well, what is the value I'm getting for the taxes that I'm paying? Right. We can't, we can't shortcut some things that might make it more expensive down the road. That's also part of, part of, you know, leading. Um, but at the same time, there is that there is that balance. There's that nice sweet spot where we can all come together and figure it out. Uh, but it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be some difficult conversations. You know, maybe you, you probably don't know this, Adam, and your listeners maybe don't. But every single budget that I've been a part of, every single one as the mayor, I send out an email to every single councillor and say, "This is what I'm uh, thinking." Uh, this uh here's my phone number would you like to get together can we talk about stuff and there is consistently many counselors that always get together with me and there's consistently counselors counselors that will never talk to me about the budget until the budget night Mm. and so um i'm just hoping that in this new term of council if i'm elected as the mayor will be a team of 13 that talks to each other all right well i i do want to address um something that has changed over the course of your mayoralty, uh, which is the sort of relationship with Wellington County. Um, yeah. There was no relationship when you were first elected in 2014. Yeah. Now you, now you sit on social services. You were a voting member of social services. You were an observer. They, they upgraded your status. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I guess where else, like how else can we build that relationship? Um, it, you know, social services seems to be where the most of our mutual interests are, but is there other ways that might benefit Guelph working closer with Wellington County that you're sort of thinking about? Uh, that's an awesome question. So I'm just going to kind of spitball a bunch of ideas that I have. I would have to flush it out in the next term. Sure. Uh, but, I've been, I, but I've been thinking about this. Like how can, you know, there's been steps, those obvious steps are there, but how can we do a bit better? So one, I would say that um, I think there's, uh, I'll, I'll talk about this one first, but I'll get to the more meat and potatoes in a second. The first one would be maybe there's an opportunity for more of the, the personal relationship building side that's been lost over COVID because of some rules and such, but can the County councillors and the city councillors, can we get together a little bit more often for a storm game or something like that? Or like something that is like, just, it's not all about making a decision, but getting to know each other. And I think that might just help a little bit with moving forward into the next term. So more constant sort of relationship building exercises or opportunities. Now on the more meat and potato side, I would like to explore to see if I could have more than just me on the social services board. Mm. We've gone from nobody to me with no voting rights to me with voting rights. 
wouldn't it be great to see if we could start to get somebody else back on there? Back in the day in the previous administration, I think there used to be four, if I, re if I recall correctly, and then they all left, uh, and that was years ago. And so, yes, building it back, could we have some more um, counselors on, city counselors on there? That's number one. Um, number two is, I think, and we've already started to do this, is um, kind of embedding the county staff or, or warden or other counselors in a lot of the intergovernmental advocacy work that we are doing with the province or the, or the federal government. So, for instance, at our AMO conference that we did in August, uh, you know, we, we were with the county a couple times on, on, uh, on some of these things face to face with ministers, whereas before we were not. So that team approach uh, of, of uh, advocacy and intergovernmental work, I think can also bode well for the final results of what helps everybody at the end of the day. Uh, lastly, uh, the, the third thing is we change the kind of the governance structure on the one thing this term um, where we have pushed off sort of the decision making for our funds for affordable or supportive housing stuff to the county right. where they are the housing experts to kind of choose and then we just ratify it back when it comes to city and and, and that's something that um that's just one example where it's worked very well for the last year i think there's been sort of three projects uh, that have gone through that process where can we where can we explore other opportunities from a more uh, regulation, legislative, bylaw process between the two entities to actually maybe further things in a, in a, in a more cohesive way um, for everyone involved in whatever that subject is. So there's three ideas that I'm kind of thinking about anyways. I feel compelled to point out at this moment, you'll have a new warden to get to yes. know as well. So yes. Uh, oh, I, I, sorry, just one more thing. Yeah. Like, like the, uh, the, the downtown advisory committee, uh, like that was, the county was very adamant in making sure that the warden, whoever it is, would have a seat at that table. Right, right. right? right. So it, the relationship is actually been, it has been really good. Like it, it like totally has been. It, the next question is where can we even take it even further now? And, um, but not because it's uh, fractured. It's about like new ideas, to even further the good stuff that we're already doing. All right. Well, the next question, which is the last question, is where can people learn more about your campaign? <laughs> uh, CamGuthrie.ca. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Cam, thank you so much for your time. Uh, good luck in the last couple of days, and uh, we'll <laughs> see how it all shakes out on Monday. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Adam. All right. So that was Mayor Cam Guthrie. Before that, we had Sheila McFarlane, and before that, we had Danny Drew. That is the end of our election coverage. Uh, all that's left is to uh, vote if you haven't already voted and then for uh, the good people working with the clerk's office and the city of Guelph to count the votes on election night. Speaking of election night, we will be live to air on election night and uh, that'll be right here on CFRU and we're going to start at 7 p.m. Uh, the polls close at eight. So we're starting at seven and we're going to have some commentary about uh, all the races and stuff we've learned from this election and who was effective, who wasn't effective issues, all that stuff. And then at eight o'clock, the votes will start coming in and um, we will stay on the air till maybe there's some clear winners. It shouldn't hypothetically take very long. It's all Scantron in case you didn't know. So nobody's hand counting anything. Um, and we're also 
uh, we're going to touch on, and Scotty, I've been starting the list of other municipalities to watch oh, right. on Monday. So maybe we can dig into those too, because I have a pretty substantial list. So, Well, if you could forward me that list, <laughs> I'll see what I can do. <laughs> All right. That's on my to-do list is to forward right my list. So yeah. Okay. Uh, other than that, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. Find us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to our show, you can download it from the website every Monday through the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter. And for all of the fantastic shows that are on this station, check out CFRU.ca slash shows. And if we don't see you on election night on Monday, we will see you back here next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources. In the meantime, stay tuned for more of that great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. So whenever we... See you next. We will see you then.